Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film The Shape of Water. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that there are some plot spoilers for The Shape of Water. And also a couple of plot spoilers for Beethoven's second, but you know, it's stuff that you could probably guess from the poster. But anyway, just in case. Enjoy. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. <laughs> I can't home. hear you at all, Paddy. I can just see you dancing. <laughs> Wait, um, hang on. Has something come unplugged, maybe? Uh, can you hear me now? Hang on. Oh, what the fuck? I heard a brief moment of static and then everything disappeared. Hold up. How about now? I can hear you now, yes. Oh, well, what you missed was I was going, Brexit's coming home, it's coming <laughs> home, it's coming home, Brexit. <laughs> I don't know what that's supposed to mean other than that we're at a complete fucking mess, aren't we? And by the time this episode goes out, a lot will have changed. So for the benefit of our listeners, it's Monday evening as we record this. Monday the 9th of July and today David Davis and Boris Johnson have both resigned as Brexit Secretary and Foreign Secretary um, which is obviously no great loss as both of them are doing a bloody terrible job but it's probably only going to get worse from here isn't it? Yeah I mean the the issue is that both of them are awful. Um, Boris Johnson was one of the worst Foreign Secretaries we've ever had. The only thing he had any influence over was getting someone put in an Iranian jail for longer than they should have been. Um, which you know, because they were sent, they were sent to jail for a little while. Boris Johnson got involved; it extended their stay in jail, and then Boris Johnson kind of sauntered off, shrugging his shoulders. And that's the only thing he did of any note in that position at a time when having a capable foreign secretary is probably the most important it's been since just after World War Two. Yep possibly even more important because the consequences of a hard brexit not that i'm sure they would happen or like crashing out of the eu without a deal could potentially be more damaging than a world war yeah it's it's horrendous it's it's uh it's absolutely horrendous he he was incredibly incompetent much like every single job he's ever been in um and david davis has gone a man who spent a total of four hours talking to the eu when his entire job was about talking to the eu <laughs> David Double D Davis. <laughs> the man with the most boring name in the world, David Davis. No, that's um that's the edge from you two, whose real name is Dave Evans. <laughs> Special shout out to Edward Woodward as well <laughs> in this little segment. No, I think that's good because it rolls off the tongue and it makes you know, it makes you stop and think. I, you I, know that his real name was actually Ed Woodwoodwood, but they <laughs> yeah. decided it wouldn't work. Yeah, or there were only so many fields in a database somewhere that he had to just put Edward Woodward. Yeah, exactly. He had to split it up. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, so two incredibly incompetent ministers have stirred down, but it may well be the end of Theresa May as our Prime Minister. By the time this episode comes out, you may well know more than we do. Yeah. Um, but as of right now, it is resignation o'clock. Yeah, I would like to resign from this podcast. After I, I hope you will thank me for doing a fantastic job rather than recording over 60 episodes of just saying a bunch of offensive shit. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Paddy, by the time the, the next episode rolls round, you and I will be Foreign Secretary and Brexit Secretary. That's the true. Way everything's going. Yeah. Does Does that mean I'm Boris? Or are you Boris? Would you like to be Boris or David Davis? Good God. That's... It's one of those awful <laughs> would you rather questions, isn't it? That's genuinely the hardest would you rather question I've ever been asked. And I went to an all-boys boarding school. <laughs> would you rather fight 50... David Davis sized Boris Johnsons or <laughs> um yeah it's it's a terrible situation all round whether you're hypothetically thinking about whether you want to be David Davis or Boris Johnson or thinking about the state of the country and where it's going to be when the hard right of the conservative party takes over yes so yeah this is clearing the way for Someone like Reese Mogg, as much as I hate to say it, to jump in, isn't it? Not that I gonna, know that much about the inner workings of the Conservative Party, other than that they are the reason that we are in this fucking mess. But yeah, that's what's going to happen. So probably Reese Mogg becomes leader, turns into a general election, and then, which means really the only way is for Corbyn to step up and to be like, yeah, we're not doing Brexit. That's my platform. That's what I'm running on. Because, you know, what would he have to lose? If he goes up against Rees Mogg, just saying I'm gonna I'm gonna do a Brexit, the same as their Brexit, a slightly different Brexit, but it will still be shit. He'll lose. Yeah, I mean the thing is that nobody trusts Jeremy Corbyn, um, and he's been completely useless. The entirety of the Labour Party has been completely useless over Brexit from day one. Yep. Um, and so, is anything going to change? Probably not. Um, yeah. Will he get votes over someone who's completely useless, like? Um, like Jacob Rees-Mogg or Boris Johnson, probably. No. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with all of that. I'm just saying that what needs to happen is for him to step up. Do I think that he will? No. If he was going to, he'd probably have done it already. So, you know. Because the thing is that old Jezza loves a good Brexit. Yeah. He loves loves a bit of economic ruin. He's as Eurosceptic as they come. Yeah. He does not like a baguette. He doesn't. He he tried brie once and did not appreciate it. (laughs) He likes a he likes a good long marrow and that's it. <laughs> I got when I came back to my house today after work there was a, a like leaflet or it was like a full A4 magazine about the like parish fate day that's happening because that's the kind of place that I've moved to. Um we can't go because we're away at a friend's weekend but otherwise I would totally be going because there's there's a creepy ass clown, there's some old blokes with guitars, you know, there's all that kind of stuff. But there is also twice in the day the golden retriever display competition which is run by some kind of local there's a local like golden retriever association and there was like a low res picture of them printed in the magazine that had literally like 50 golden retrievers all in one picture and i'm really sad that i'm missing it oh that does sound amazing that was just a segue because i feel like that's the kind of thing jeremy corbyn would enjoy yeah he would enjoy that it would have to be a very british dog though yeah None of these foreign golden retrievers. No, he wouldn't want any foreign golden retrievers. It would only be British bulldogs. Coming over any... here, taking our dogs. 
Bulldogs yes. are very ugly, aren't they? They are, yeah. And and they often have lots of like respiratory problems and things like that. It's very sad. Yeah. And they can't afford asthma inhalers because the NHS is in crisis. Because of Brexit? Because of Brexit, yeah. I mean, but to be fair, if you looked at one kind of dog and decided that it had voted for Brexit, it's going to be a British bulldog, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Either that or a staffy. I'm not saying they didn't bring it upon themselves. No, yeah, they, but they, are, they are entirely responsible <laughs> for years of inbreeding leading to their current situation. It is all the fault yeah. of um, of the dogs themselves. I wonder if there was simply just no air conditioning at Checkers when they were having all these all these Brexit meetings. And Boris Johnson and David Davis just went, fuck this, I can't take it anymore. Because <laughs> that's how I feel right now. Well, I think you had the usual cowardice from the Brexit lot. So at this meeting, they all said, okay, yeah, we agree with it. And they grumbled a bit, but they walked away saying yes. And then all of a sudden they started turning around and saying, no, we must resign. It's like, if you couldn't even stand up. It, it, these people couldn't even stand up in a meeting with Theresa May on their principles yeah they had to do it behind the scenes what make you what makes anybody think that these people could handle running the country it's like a 12-hour meeting and at no point did any of them stand up and go actually actually no they're like no i'm gonna wait till 11 30 p.m on a sunday which to be fair i've thought about resigning a lot of times at 11 30 p.m on a sunday but you know i haven't gone through with it because i've got shit to do Yes, um, particularly if you are Brexit secretary, you have lots and lots and lots to do. Yeah, um, but now we've got Dominic Rab, a guy he's terrible. who, like, I've heard some terrible things about him today. I can't even remember them, but I've heard that he believes in gay cure therapy, that he kicks cats, and that he thinks not only should we leave the EU, but we should also. Um, use the Trident submarines in the full force of the military to pull the UK further away from the EU right into the middle of the Atlantic so we can be truly isolationist. <laughs> um, he's a real nasty piece of work. Um, he's a big MRA type weirdo. Um, he is also um, terrible when it comes to workers' rights and things like that. And he has a stupid name. <laughs> Dominic Rab, more like Rab. Dominic Bad. <laughs> Fuck off. Get, get in the bin already. That's a, it's a bit like um, Nicolas Cage, isn't it? <laughs> he, he is the British shit politics equivalent of Nicolas Cage. Dominic Rab. Dominic Rab. Dominic Rab. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, if you never listened to this podcast before, it's a long-running thing about the trailer for Stolen, in which the announcer says, Nicolas Cage. It's 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 fantastic. <laughs> I think it's been long enough now that there might be someone listening who doesn't get that. So I'll put that in the show there notes. There might be. Yeah, yeah. If, if, have a look in the show notes and it'll, it'll explain everything for you. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, Dominic Rab, terrible. Get in the bin already. We don't like you. Yep. We never liked you. And he we haven't leaked you either. At the time of recording, we don't have a new foreign secretary yet, do we? No, but I think it's going to be one of those wacky inflatable arm guys. <laughs> yeah. The guys who have the right tube air arms. <laughs> um, but let's be honest, it'll be more effective than Boris. Yeah, it's not hard. It'd be less offensive, and that's the main thing. He was he was like a walking just ball of offensive nonsense with a thatched roof. 
what impresses me is that the BBC has an article up saying what did Boris Johnson achieve as Foreign Secretary, and they've managed to write lots about it. Good grief! Um, as opposed to just nothing. <laughs> Somebody got paid to do that when it would have been a much better use of their pay, their time, and their energy to just have it redirect to like a four hundred four. Also, um, the BBC. I, I love the BBC in general, but for the last few years they have gone right down the we must remain neutral and centrist route about everything political um and it's really frustrating so they have not covered in to any real extent the fact that the brexit vote was massively corrupt and they broke lots of regulations and they're possibly in the payroll of the russians um they just haven't covered it and and part of it is down to an idea that oh we must listen to both sides which is why they have the guy from weatherspoons on every day (laughs) Um, yeah, we must be neutral 4. by having UKIP on question time every fucking yeah, week. Yeah, bo- both sides is not actually being neutral. Being neutral is objectively delivering the news. It's not allowing both sides to say whatever they want because one side may well not actually have anything important to say, BBC. Um, and it's getting increasingly irritating. It's just, um, I you know, I love the BBC as well as an institution. I don't agree with people who are like, oh, we should get rid of it, we should ban it, it's this, it's that... But I always find it really hilarious how everyone on the right thinks that it has a massive left-wing bias. Everyone on the left thinks that it has a massive right-wing bias. But, you know, look at all of the guests and the people they get on and the things that they say. And they're towing the same line as the Conservatives. You know, Brexit means Brexit, etc. There's nothing radical being published on there. It's just generally sort of trying to keep things afloat. And that's not necessarily an awful thing, but it's not a good thing either. It's not what you need from journalism. No. And the fact that they've been so scared to say anything negative about Brexit when it comes to the actual corruption of the vote is a bit worrying. Yeah. And you think, what are you doing? You're, you've got some of the highest paid journalists in the country working for you and you're not actually doing journalism. Yeah. Uh, which is, it's very, very frustrating to see. Um, it, it's extremely so not it good. Sort it out, BBC. I don't care if Chrissy Teigen has caused controversy by breastfeeding by eating a carrot um, or or anything like that i don't care that um justin bieber might be engaged <laughs> what i care <laughs> what i go for bbc news for is news and Wait, rewind. intelligent opinion justin bieber got engaged he got engaged to his own face <laughs> he got engaged to himself <laughs> now there is an idiot who loves himself he could be foreign secretary he might say why don't you go and love yourself? <laughs> exactly. That's what he would say to Boris Johnson, and it would be completely accurate. <laughs> um, speaking of cheesy songs, Paddy, yeah. um, could I just say that I'm in love with the shape of water? <laughs> um, I would be worried about getting sued, but I think um, Ed Sheeran has no, a no. his plate in terms of lawsuits at the minute. Me and Sheeran are mates. We're like this. You, you guys are buds actually, yeah 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 proper proper good friends there was ge- genuinely briefly there were a couple of months when we were facebook friends this is all it's very nice isn't it so in, in 2008 i opened for him at a gig in a pub in tooting called the garden house which is no longer there it's probably been demolished to put in some luxury flats or whatever um it was a really really nice gig um and it was really cool and he was like 17 at the time and he'd just moved to london from suffolk 
um, decided not to go to university and decided to kind of jack it all in and become a musician. Or, well, he was already a musician. Um, like, he already had some of the songs that ended up on his debut album, however many years later, two or three years later, um, his major label debut, debut, I mean, because by that time he had even released, like, three or four self-released albums and they were all really good. And he gave me one for free, which was very, very nice because I didn't have any money. Um, and he was he was sick. I'll say he was amazing. Like I was really, really impressed by him and he definitely had star quality and was genuinely a really, really nice dude. And we kept in touch a little bit vaguely and then eventually he got famous and deleted his Facebook account. That's my that's my Sheeran story. But yeah, so and he genuinely worked really, really hard. Like this guy was out there gigging every single night, sleeping on couches and whatever. I know that's a bit of a shtick thing. But he did genuinely do it. It wasn't like an overnight success. Paddy, the only thing I took away from that is that he's no longer Facebook friends with you, and therefore he's a bastard. I know. Well, <laughs> how dare he? It's interesting that I didn't re- <clears throat> that I reacted to that with in an okay way, whereas I didn't react that well to being um, being followed by um, who's the chocolate rain guy? Tay Zonday. Tay Zonday, who I immediately blocked because it said that follows are not personal. <laughs> yes um yeah ed sheeran um seems like you know or at least he seemed like a nice guy he did release go away girl um which that is a not I good think sustained him as much to me as <laughs> it's it's offensive cod um, and irish at the moment nonsense. he is involved in yeah. that little little legal dispute um over is he suing justin bieber because he wanted to get married to justin bieber's face um, which yeah, we 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 we. Oh, you've gone all crackly. Oh, have I? You've gone a bit dubstep, Paddy. <laughs> did that work? <laughs> it did a little bit, yeah. Um, dubstep in you. Can you hear me all right now? I can hear you. Yeah, that is it's all a okay now. Um, cool. listeners at, at my end it's kind of like a glitch tronica remix of paddy johnston oh, is, is what gonna, i was getting that's gonna go I, down well what i was what i was getting in my ears then for a brief moment um so so i i i'm not sure what your thoughts are about the um the licensing dispute over um, um fill me in i'm not sure i even know so um ed sheeran thinking out loud lovely song um, it's a, it's I knew a that nice Marvin Gaye's estate had already sued him over it, sounding like um, "Let's get it on." Let's get it on. Um, so, let's get it on. Is um, is uh, was written by multiple people. Um, and part of it sued him back in 2016 i think part of the estate or part of the license of the song sued him back in uh in 2016 and i believe they settled out of court um and now another part of let's get it on the the writing team of let's get it on i think maybe this time around it is marvin gay's estate right is now picking it up it's like the the drummer sued him, the bassist sued him. Now the horns are suing him. He's getting it from all sides. Yes. So it's it was Ed Townsend originally, um, who who yes was uh, was a songwriter, 
Um, and now I think it's Marvin Gaye's estate. So he's basically got it again. Um, so it was going to be interesting to see what happens there. I wouldn't say they're that similar. No. Personally. You, in your head, they actually sound similar than they are. If you think about it, you play them to yourself. The tempo is actually quite different. The um, Or different mm. enough, I think, that it's clearly puts a bit of a gulf between them. Um, Let's Get It On is markedly a few BPM faster, noticeably, and it starts with that kind of riff. Um, And it's kind of, yeah, the beat's a bit more jazzy. Thinking Out Loud is a much simpler arrangement, just the guitar and that kind of thing. Um, I don't think Let's Get It On has a similar guitar solo. The lyrics and that are completely different, but the main thing is the vocal melody is very different, and that's usually the the clear sign of a, of a deliberate rip-off is if the vocal melody isn't similar enough. But I don't think the vocal melody is close enough that they have a case, really. I think it's a very cynical attempt. Not that I'm I'm up here like standing for Ed Sheeran, but I think it's a very cynical attempt by these people to get some money and to make themselves feel relevant again. Yeah, and and I and I, I understand I, I understand that in copyright suits like this there's often um a need to protect the property and often these cases come about because they feel like they have to just to make sure that no one steps further out of bounds. And and so there are sort of like there are similarities between the songs in terms of like um like chord progressions, that kind of thing. Yes. But they're very, very slight. And like you said, um, There's only the verse as well. It's, it's- yeah, and the it's br- the bridge the is very different. Oh, the verse and the chorus are the same actually, but the bridge isn't the same at all. Um, so I'd say this is this is not anywhere near as close as some of the other cases that we've seen over the years. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I, to see I'm how a qualified it goes, musicologist, so I can say that with <laughs> complete confidence. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. I think. Um, yeah, but uh, but yeah. Um, are they worried Ed, that if I, they don't do it at like every single song that people write now is just going to be a ripoff of let's get it on it's like and now we have ariana grande with let's get it ron <laughs> i will not hear a bad word about ariana grande she is excellent even though she's getting um, married to pete davidson <laughs> pete what davidson, likes from the pub gonna sell you a fridge <laughs> he's thrown a um, kettle over a pub what have you done <laughs> that's exactly what pete davidson's done um and uh and and yeah no i i like ariana grande's music it, yeah she's she cool she does good pop um ed sheeran generally does nice stuff i think he was better when he was a soppy guitar man I agree. when he became a pop superstar um galway girl is one of the worst songs i've ever heard in my life this gives us a good excuse to post my mashup of Galway Girl and Tub Thumping again. Yes, yeah, which I do occasionally listen to, and it is amazing. So any any of our listeners who have not heard Paddy's incredible mashup of Tub Thumping meets Galway Girl... I'll tack uh, it on to the end it. of the podcast. Um, the, the, the main thing that I find offensive about Ed Sheeran is that he looks like he walked out of the character creation tool for the Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion, um, which I will, I will send you a picture of. Um, and you will see what I mean, Paddy. Um, he looks exactly like he's come out of a, a, a video game character creator thing, and I will have none of it. He's a bit, um, a bit of a Bobson Dugnut. Yes, we like his songs. He's and he seems like a nice enough fella. Yeah, cool. Well, the good thing is that he's he's not in the shape of water, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, it's because he's in love with the shape of water. 
yeah, anyway, so uh, shall we talk a bit about The Shape of Water? We've managed to get through quite a lot in 25 minutes. <laughs> yes, we have. There's, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. But yes, this film, I enjoyed it very much. Second watch, I saw it in the cinema, which I found to be a very, very emotional experience, actually. I think I remember telling you about it at the time. Because it was my... Um, Oh yeah, it was a it was a day I had the day off after finishing a big project at work and I went to the cinema on my own and saw Black Panther and then The Shape of Water and it was just yeah, it was a really nice way to round off that day. And but so I wondered watching it for the second time in the privacy of my own home whether that would make any difference to how I experienced it, but I still enjoyed it a lot the second time. And actually I think knowing how it was going to end and how it what was the what was actually going to happen um, I experienced it in a very different way and saw a lot of bits of like foreshadowing and subtle things earlier on in the film that I wouldn't have noticed before because, yeah, I hadn't seen it in that way, which is a testament to Guillermo del Toro's amazing storytelling, I think. But had you seen it before? I forget. I hadn't I hadn't seen it before. No, I missed it when it first came out in the cinemas. Um, it only had a very limited release around where I was. And then by the time it won an Oscar, there wasn't any interest in show, like showing it again. Um, which was a shame. So this is the first time I saw it. Cool. And I enjoyed it. I would not say I liked it as much as I was hoping I would. Yeah, I think I um, I raised your expectations, didn't I? Well, as did it winning a thousand Oscars. But... Yes, yeah. I mean, the main thing that raised the expectations for me was that everybody was saying it was incredible. But I would not say this is my favourite Guillermo del Toro movie. See, I would. Um, I think it's his best film. And I and that's a high bar because I think that Pan's Labyrinth is a masterpiece. But I think this this was just more emotionally resonant for me. Like, I find the the kind of the war setting of Pan's Labyrinth is is quite upsetting. Um, in a, in a good way it's very very visceral and really grabs you emotionally and it's a, an amazing film but yeah the shape of water does it for me in a different way because it has that love story element it has that fantastical element and it has the kind of the the grimness and the openness and the grittiness that um that Guillermo del Toro always uses very sparingly but very very well it just it balances all those things out for me i think see for me i felt like Guillermo del Toro's movies at their best have a great level of subtlety hidden in the horrors that he portrays and Pan's Labyrinth is the is the most perfect example of that um but films like The Devil's Backbone do it well um it felt as though Crimson Peak was a little bit too on the romantic cheesy side and it lost a little bit of that subtlety and I feel as though the shape of water again didn't have the subtlety behind the scenes it was much less aggressive than his previous movies but it felt like it was just a different form of very on the nose um emotions yeah um, and and there's nothing necessarily wrong with it and i thought it was a really good film but it didn't have um it didn't make me think in the same way that pan's labyrinth did and pan's labyrinth i think had so many different layers to it and even crimson peak had certain layers to it that i think the shape of water's lacking a little bit. You you wanted to, you wanted it to have a layer of plastic-looking ghosts. I wanted it to have um, uh, much like Fishman has a layer between his exterior and his inside fish penis, which is very graphically <laughs> explained to us. It's explained, um, but it's not shown. You know, no, they they do they do very well not to show his free willy. If this had been Lars von Trier's The Shape of Water. <laughs> It would have just been someone, it would have been Willem Dafoe with his penis out. 
yeah. in front of a row of fish. With he'd just be big, at the like, fish counter. Scaly fish penis. <laughs> he'd, be, he'd be at the fish counter at a local supermarket and he'd just be there going mental behind the scenes. That's. I don't think fish even have penises, do they? No, I don't think they do. No. They just sort of fart on each other. So that's how I is how I understand it, <laughs> which so, is how it should have happened in this film. Yeah, let's be honest. Especially um, as he's he's smooth down there, which Octavia Spencer's character comments on in quite an amusing way. Yes, yeah, and um, and and yeah, it just felt I don't know. Um, but, but at the end of this movie, I did just think to myself, this is just free willy apart from the whale fucked someone. <laughs> This is, yeah, it's free willy, except you get to see Sally Hawkins naked a few times. <laughs> um, and um, and yeah, so I was a little bit disappointed. I did enjoy it, but it it felt a little bit too on the nose for me. Yeah. I kind of wish it had had a little bit more subtlety to it. It's fish, very fish don't even have handed. noses. So, you know, I don't think you, I don't think you can say that. I think I don't think it's fair. Um um, but but it was good. I enjoyed it a lot, and it, and it had that great visual storytelling and and world setting, world building that Guillermo del Toro is so good at, and yeah. it did that almost perfectly. I think it was that side of it was incredible, and I think it reminded me. And he does the same thing in Pan's Labyrinth, where it's it's set ostensibly in our world at some historical time period. So it has that element of feeling really, really rooted in your own life, like all of this stuff all of the but it's also completely fantastical and magical and escapist at the same time but all of this stuff you imagine could genuinely be happening to you but it's so it's playing out these kind of fantastical elements that tie in with fairy tales and our own imaginations and stuff even though when it opens the, the opening is really strong i think where it's all just kind of everything's underwater and you think that that's how it's going to be it's like some kind of underwater world but then it turns out they're in like Baltimore. I don't realize it was Baltimore until he actually said it was Baltimore, but it's like, and probably like the 50s, because it looks really 50s and they're all talking about the Cold War and stuff. But the way that the cities are stylized and the way that things move and the way they're lit and stuff, it really, really, it really reminded me of Hayao Miyazaki, actually. It was really like Studio Ghibli ish, mm. but it was real. And that side of it just made me like, it, it took my breath away. The opening few scenes of just the way the city was built and put together was just amazing. And I think the first time I saw it, I was actually so overwhelmed by that that I didn't take in the story as much. So the second time, I was taking in the narrative a lot more and the characterization a lot more, I think. And it's, it was still very good. Yeah, and, and the world building is great. And and very few um, directors are able to create something that feels so... like Very few directors can do something that's magical realist in this same way. And Guillermo del Toro is a master of it. Um, I'd say Alex Proyas used to be very good at it, not so much anymore. But he used to be fantastic at building these worlds, what particularly has with that kind he of done? gothic sensibility. So he's most famous for The Crow and Dark City. Oh, okay, yeah, The Crow is um, great. Which are two, which are two really great movies in terms of building that world in in the same way as Del Toro does. Um, and um, and I'd say. Uh, yeah, Francis Ford Coppola when he goes sort of bizarre and fantastical he's also really good at it so like his dracula adaptation had its flaws but in terms of the setting and the direction it, it was able to be pitch perfect in that regard yeah um, plus he's related to nicholas cage so he can't be bad 
Plus he's still, uh, yeah, you know, anyone who's, who's related to Nicolas Cage. Um, yeah. Is, and, and I suppose the only other person who can really do that kind of magic realism very well is Tarsim Singh who um who's who does that kind of that kind of artistic it almost feels like you're walking into a dream yeah um or like bong joon ho someone like that mm, yeah and 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 that kind of that kind of sense of walking into another world a world that feels very real but at the same time makes you feel like you're out of place um and 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 that side of the shape of water was perfect and it it kind of encapsulated that cold war feeling but also that nostalgia for that era as well in an incredible way yeah um and you still do see it as a simpler time don't you compared to all the complex and weird shit that we're going through now and 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 that ties into and, and obviously at the time it was incredibly complex and horrendous and an awful time to to be alive um but at the same time, everything ties together into that simplistic romanticization. And I, I suppose the, the, the simplistic romance as well is even a part of that. This is a very simple love story. Yeah. Um, so the, the pacing so of the, lo- the romantic plot felt a lot faster to me on the second watch, which I think, as you said, is down to now have it being not, not having the world building washing over you in the same way. It actually felt that it moved too fast on second viewing. I still loved it, but yeah, it was like, oh, suddenly they're they're at this point. Okay, I thought it took longer to get there. And 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 as a first time watcher, I didn't feel as though that pacing was done very well. Um, and and I don't know. I never really bought into the romance it, as a as a major part of this film. I felt like the most interesting parts of the movie weren't the romance aspect itself. Which no. was a bit of a letdown. I kind of felt like the romance almost didn't really need to be there to the extent that it was. No, I, I, I agree with that because, you know, I wrote this down in my notes. I wrote that it's, it's actually, it's not a film that's about the romance. It's not a straight up love story in which the the story, the narrative centers around these two people are in love or they're going to fall in love. Here are these impediments to their love and we need to overcome them. Here are these huge obstacles. Eventually they overcome them so they can be together. Boom, it's done. It's not that. What it is, is a film in which someone um, is incomplete. I, She feels incomplete and lonely and she's a mute and has all these kind of these kind of issues that are portrayed in various different ways and how she fits into the world. And it's about how she finds a way of feeling complete and of feeling fully human which is all told through a lot of metaphors and some some more obvious than others and the whole thing about him the the evil man dehumanizing the russians and dehumanizing the thing and talking about you know it's not even human it's you know it we were made in god's image that's not made in god's image you think god looks like that that kind of stuff so all that stuff is is kind of yeah obvious thematic stuff but it still resonated a lot with me and just in terms of getting me to think about what it means to be human i guess yeah and 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 I I appreciated all of that kind of stuff. I just felt like there was too many very brief stopping points where it tried to fit into that romance where they did have those kind of generic uh, I must overcome this challenge moment and the the generic sort of let's like the first romance kind of moments the the kiss the sex that kind of thing. Um it just all felt a little bit too obvious, I think. You wanted a bit more investment in their relationship. You wanted it yeah, to be I, I wanted... Guillermo del Toro's How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. 
Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I wanted them to go paintballing together. Um, oh no, that's uh, ten things I hate about you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I still wanted them to go paintballing together. That would be an incredible scene. That still would have um, been cool. But yeah, I, I just felt like did it. It did. I, I feel like the romantic angle of it didn't even need to be as obvious that it was in the film. Um, it could have. The, the the one thing that I was thinking of that kind of did it better, and I think I'm in the vast minority here uh, with my sensibilities, is that um, I feel like the um, the remake of King Kong by Peter Jackson kind of hinted at this romantic overtone between Jane and and the King of Kong um, without it ever becoming obvious. But you could tell that there was this kind of relationship, this kind of emotional attachment between the two of them that built up. Um, and I feel as though that kind of relationship could have worked better here, where there was so much going on that it almost felt like the, the, the romance scenes took away from the rest of it. And you didn't need, you didn't need them to have sex after, after flooding the bathroom. No, that like that, that scene was a bit like, oh, you you know, you're definitely going to lose your deposit. <laughs> exactly. You know. Yeah, but Think also about the poor landlord. Can you fill up a room with water like that? I would have thought it would just leak. Yeah, you know, not you know, not, not to be a kind of anti-magical realism kind of gammon yadawa about it, but yeah, that <laughs> that side of it was just a that... little bit contrary to the realistic part of side of the magical realistic world that he had built. That is the most obvious logical flaw in this movie about a sexy magical fish monster man. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a and, whole. And, and I know, Explain I, I yourself, know that, Guillermo. And I, I know that lots of like gammon types have kind of been complaining. It's like, oh my God, how could she ever choose the fish monster to, to have a romantic encounter with? Or that's so unrealistic, and I didn't feel as though that. Have was you seen men? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. Have you watched any Adam Sandler movie? Who would you rather go out with? Have Paul you seen Blart human Moorcock? men? <laughs> uh, like, given a choice between Paul Blart Moorcock and Sexy Fishman, I know which direction I'd go down. The Fishman, um, he's hench. Like he's, he's, he's he is a an absolute unit. He could go on Love Island, no problem. <laughs> he could, and you know. He'd look pretty good in swimming shorts and everything. He'd win every challenge. He'd show up, Um, eat a cat. (laughs) That's going to be the next challenge in Love Island, isn't it? Eat a cat. Um, And um, I I thought it was very unfair that that Matey Boy, you know, healed up Sally Hawkins, healed up the the friend, but didn't heal up the cat that it ate. I know. It ate the head of the cat. It realised it had done something wrong and it didn't bother to heal it. And immediately at that point, I was like, you know what? Michael Shannon deserves to shoot you dead. Yeah, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. That, that was the moment where I was like, right, not out of 10. Tweet. I resigned yeah, from watching 20. this film. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I almost feel like there, there, there is a genuine, there's a genuine romantic attachment there. I'm not sure if it's as big as other people have made it out to be. Lots of people have been saying that that the romantic attachment in this movie is like on par with the greatest romances of, of cinema. And it's like, no, I don't uh, think I'd of... go that far. I, but I, I love this film, but not, it's not because I think it's like the greatest love story ever told. It's because no, of its atmospheric no. world and the way it says so much about humanity. Not, exactly. not to like, get it's... all David Foster Wallace on you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, and yeah, and that's where it really shines. It doesn't really shine in the romance department as much. And I think those people were going a little bit overboard with it, maybe because they like the overall theme so much. Yeah. 
I wouldn't um, go as far as to have what what they what they would call on the social media an unpopular opinion like you, which would be that <laughs> compa- anything should be compared unfavorably to Peter Jackson's King Kong. <laughs> but... um, yeah, it's it's I I don't know. I I feel like it was a little bit overbearing the romance side of things and when there was so much other interesting stuff going on i was like i don't really care about and, and i know lots of people love the little little dance number with, where she's singing and i was like oh i kind of you know this is nice and all but what i really want to see is the eventual escape and i want to see like the redemption of certain characters who are seen as outsiders in this society and that kind of thing um and, and that's what i really liked about the movie and that's what i really wanted out of it um redemption which, which i kind of got it, it it kind of reached there but it felt like it was it was skirting a little bit around the issue there because it was too busy with bigger heavier look at this this is good kind of things going on yeah for sure i think a lot of people hated the musical number and it, it, it divided people a lot but i think it's really cool just as a kind of another quite different way of showing what's inside her mind and of showing her emotions in a very, very different way and the way it kind of fades in from her being mute to sort of mumbling to talking and then fades it back out. I thought that was really charming. Yeah, that was really lovely the way that they did that. I just kind of felt it. I don't know. If it had tied more to her overall status and less to her relationship, I think I would have liked it a bit more, but I still thought it was an interesting scene. Um, and and when you see that transition, it's really really interesting. Yeah, because th- he's he's of... the MacGuffin that allows her to express herself and her state fully. Yeah, so it is all about that yeah. relationship. But they still could have done more with that. I agree. Yeah, and and he is the MacGuffin merman. And I I I'm not a <laughs> I'm not, not a baseball a player. First, <laughs> yeah, plays play for the Miami Marlins. Um, and, and I'm not a love at first sight person. And I think that's part of the, I I often have this issue with movies that try and portray love at first sight. And I, I, I intensely roll my eyes at it because love is not something where you see someone and then you fall in love with them. That's what about in, um, never been kissed when the sexy teacher appears and I just died in your arms starts playing. (laughs) I just died in your arms tonight. fucking exactly that is exactly (laughs) what i'm talking about that kind of bullshit in films does not fly with me um you you, yeah maybe you like you you engage with someone so much at a first connection that it feels like you love them but true love is not that true love is getting to know the innermost workings of someone and i'm sorry sally hawkins in this movie but you did not get to know the innermost workings of Fishman. No. You don't even know if he's really a god. You don't know if he's got a wife back home, a little fish wife he's... Um, <laughs> back in South America. He's probably like a fish rights activist. <laughs> yeah, maybe he is. <laughs> like as soon as he gets home, he's going on Reddit all the time. Whatever the <laughs> Cold War 50s undersea equivalent of Reddit is. And posting... Ribbit. Yeah, ribbit. <laughs> and posting about how all these fish are coming over here from across the atlantic and taking our jobs yeah exactly he may well be that he might actually be some kind of monster um that has been killing people in south america for years and years and years um you you could you could believe it because of the way that he he kills well he, he eats the cat and he wounds some of the people in the lab but obviously because they're being mean to him but when he when he kills Michael Shannon in the end, it's a great moment actually, and it does feel really redemptive and well deserved. He just like slashes his neck in one movement, 
and he's dead. So, you know, you know, he's got that kind of power. He's got that aggression yes. inside yeah. him. Um, and 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 yeah. And, and so I kind of I, I obviously do not think that he's the bad guy in this movie. He's obviously the good guy. But the idea of setting it up as this happily ever after romance, when you know zero about him as a character, kind of feels a bit cheap to me. Yeah. Like what what is he like? What's he into? You know, we he know likes he likes eggs. eggs. Yeah. <laughs> he's an egg man. He likes boiled eggs. He likes cat face meat. Yeah. Um, he likes having sex. That's about all we know about him. He doesn't like being shocked with a cattle prod. So, you know, no. that is a bonus. That's fairly not... it's fairly universal. Yeah. Um, but it just feels like, I don't know, it feels like you can't set it up as this great fairy tale romance that some people have been doing. And I don't think that was necessarily Del Toro's intention because I think Del Toro's main purpose with this film, at least in what he said in interviews, is more about it as an allegory for... Um, for love and and for love for within groups which are not allowed to love each other yeah. which is great and uh, love uh, in the uh, broader sense message... of the world not not just eros or pathos or all of the different types of love you could you could apply this film's message to any form of love i think i thought those were the three musketeers <laughs> eros pathos and plato, and plato. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a cave um Howdy, do you remember Dog Tanyon? Fuck yeah. All for that one and one for all ever. the musker hounds are always ready. That was that was like the best show. Yeah, it was ever. fantastic. I used to love that show. It was so gentle, um, you know. It was, it was. You know, for such a swashbuckling musk- show. It, it was it Dog Tanyon the, and the Musker Hounds? The Musker Hounds, yeah. Yeah. They couldn't think of a yeah. better pun. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that, that was a great show. They um, came to get the down, they came to get down. So get out your seat and musk a hound. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that that show was great. Um and uh, there was another there was another 90s cartoon about the musketeers. The Fifth Musketeer. What was it called? I don't remember seeing that. You're not uh, thinking Owlbear. of the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoons. Albert the Fifth Musketeer. That's what it was. It was a French cartoon about this little fella who was the final musketeer. Um, it was amazing. It was not was as good as something you watched in France. No, this was in England. Oh, okay. Um, he was a he was a little little fella, a short a short musketeer, and he had a tiny horse. And um, and the rest of the musketeers, I think, used to make fun of him, but then he always saved the day. And and that's what's missing from um from uh this this film isn't it is is a is tiny musketeer horse. references and a tiny horse yeah just just clip clopping along you know on the street outside and then fishman could eat it and get in trouble and get thrown in yes. jail exactly exactly um but yeah um i i think we've we've talked a little bit about michael shannon i think he was one of the best things about this film he is excellent he's genuinely very very scary and very believ- believably evil, but he is also humanized at points. He's got a wife and kids, you know, he wants to buy a new car. It seems like he, he, you, you realize that he's a man who is giving in to all of his worst desires and that though, that the world is allowing him to do that. Um, yeah. And he's, he's genuinely quite scary, but he also looks a little bit like Peter Serafinovich. 
So I was, there are times <laughs> when I wanted to laugh. But um, Michael Shannon, I really love. I think he's a great actor. I haven't seen um, him in anything else. He's he's fantastic. He's he's one of the few good things about Batman. Um, no, not Batman. Superman. Superman. Uh, what's it called? Man of Steel. Oh yeah. Um, where he plays General Zod, and and he's great and he's fearsome. Um, he's General in Zod. A really. Yes, General Zod. Was that like was that character named from a like under 11s fan competition? <laughs> General Zod is one of the long-standing Superman villains, I think. Um he's one of the he's one of the few remaining Kryptonians and he's a bad one. And so they come to fight Superman and they're all like, "Haha, we're going to beat you." And then That is a rubbish him. name for a villain. <laughs> this is this is going back a very long time by the way. Um back when everybody had a stupid name. Okay. Um uh, he's he's also in a great little movie called Bug, which is a really tense, uh, creepy film about these two people that are in a motel room and they think uh, there's a bug infestation. Um, and it's really strange and psychologically unnerving. Um, Does he play really, the titular bug? He is, yeah. He just turns up in a giant cockroach outfit. In a um, sort of reverse... Oh, it's like Kafka's metamorphosis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly like that. Um, yeah, I think he's a really he's a really underrated actor, um, and he does a great job here. And it's another one of those fantastic Guillermo del Toro tropes where, in a movie full of monsters, the most monstrous person is a human being. Yeah, and that's more heavy-handed in this film because he actually at one point says, "You know, they're made in God's image. What does God look like? Well, he looks like me." That kind of it's very very overt and obvious arrogance, but I still bought it. Yeah, it's a little bit too obvious in comparison to what it's been like in other movies there's even um even crimson peak obviously had that trope where there's all the ghosties but actually the ghosties aren't the monstrous thing here it's jessica chastain and um and our boy loki um but even there there was even in jessica chastain's character you had those subtleties that kind of showed the human nature and the human character behind the monster um, obviously Pan's Labyrinth is an expert um, depiction of that where you have this horrible general one of the most disgusting human beings ever put on film but still you see the human side behind it all Yeah, and I feel as though they tried that with Michael Shannon here and obviously you spend time with his family and everything like that and you see the banality of evil on that side of things but at the same time everything he says is a little bit too on the nose. It's like he's obviously racist, obviously sexist, obviously uh, fish-phobic. Uh, is that probably the right term? Fish-phobic? Yeah. He, doesn't fish-phobic. Like the, he doesn't like the merman. Um, and it's all a little bit too heavy-handed. It doesn't quite... He feels a bit too cartoonish monstrous for this film. Yeah, but, but they still manage to make you realise that the people who are doing evil things always think that they are doing the right thing. The same way that, you know, Ian Duncan Smith, I've said this before, has genuinely said that he believes that everything he did while he was working pension secretary in terms of benefit cuts and whatever was doing good for the people because it would encourage them to get back to work and be better people. To him, that means he's doing a huge societal good. And, you know, ang- angry Michael Shannon in this film believes he's doing the same thing by trying to vivisect the <laughs> the, um, the fish man. Yes, yeah. Um, one of those things is much more evil than the other. 
And guess what? It's Ian Duncan Smith, your monster. Yeah. He should be vivisected. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. On question he's, he's time. A, he's, he's a wrong one. I'm surprised that he's not in the running, you know, obviously given that he was a terrible Conservative Party leader who lives yeah. in some of their lowest... He somehow managed to history. get in again. Yeah, he somehow became somehow became leader in the first place, did a terrible job, and then somehow has occasionally retain positions of power in spite of his general ineptitude yeah it's quite something um but yeah so he's much worse than than old michael shannon in this a movie. thousand all times michael, worse yeah. all michael shannon wants to do is shoot a fish man yeah well, it's comparatively yeah small small bacon yeah is, exactly. is that a phrase small bacon small it is now <laughs> i got bacon on my mind i made some <laughs> i made some maple cured bacon yesterday and it was very oh, very lovely. good that's ah, oh, I want some maple maple cured bacon now. It's yeah, not fair. Um, but yeah, it's 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 one of those. It's it's like a minor thing, I suppose. But I just feel as though he could have been more human than he was supposed to be. It was a bit cartoonish for you. See, I He's, didn't find it cartoonish because I think it worked within the context of the film, which overall is a little bit cartoonish anyway. It's certainly it's Guillermo del Toro's most cartoonish film and. I bought it because I'm a cartoony guy. It it is his most cartoonish film, but I feel as though part of the reason it is the most cartoonish film is the f- depiction of uh, of Michael Shannon as this super monstrous man. Um, and if you'd put that character into or or that depiction of a of a villain into some of the other ones, they probably would have been beefed up to be just as cartoonish. Yeah. Um and so it it lacks that subtlety across the board and that's what I was a bit disappointed in. And obviously Oscar winning movies very rarely have subtlety. No. Um they're often big big thematic things. Um and, and this is a big thematic thing. It just lacks I think that that's very insulting to La La Land. <laughs> what La La Land the great Oscar winner. <laughs> Oh yeah, I oh, know it didn't win the Oscars, did it? No, it did not. It was nominated for all of them, but didn't win them. Yes, because um, it was too subtle for them. Exactly, it was. It was much more subtle than Moonlight. You have you have to be really really clever to get that it's a film about a white man saving jazz. <laughs> Do you get it? Do you get it, Paddy? Yeah, yeah, I I, I got it completely. <laughs> um. And uh, and yeah, it feels a little bit too. Um, it feels a little bit too on the nose for me. And I've said that before, but it just that's that's the one flaw here. It's the one thing that I wish I wish it was a little bit more subtle. And maybe it wouldn't have won the Oscar if it did. But yeah, definitely. If it, it didn't been... have like romantic French music for when they start having sex, it's not going to win the Oscar. Yeah, exactly. Um, everyone knows that the only song that would have been suitable at that point is part of the Room soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, you are my fish, you are my fish. Yeah, <laughs> I would stand in the way of a fish hook. <laughs> you would stand in the way of a cattle prod. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose um, Sally Hawkins does kind of stand in the way of a bullet for him. That's true, actually. Yeah, a fish man. She does get it- shot. She does get shot, but then Fishboy heals her and then reveals her gills and then they live underwater in Baltimore, which is probably not the nicest place to live underwater. <laughs> yeah, although it's, it's kind of left 
open, isn't it? You just see them floating yes. together, and that's yeah. it. I assume that he he takes her across the ocean back to meet his his other family. <laughs> this is my wife. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, my fish wife. Yeah. Um. Of course, he is married to Ariel out of the Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah. Um. That that's canon. Um. But yeah, it's it, and and I like those kind of open ending, um, open open endings in in Del Toro movies, and he does that quite a lot, um, which I like, where it kind of leaves it hanging a little bit. Yeah, and I'm glad that her friend um, didn't get shot, and that he was the one doing the the voiceover, the opening and closing voiceover. Which also that's a rule about Oscar winning films: you have to have an opening and a closing voiceover. Yes, you do. Uh, you, you you do need you do need that and, and like how and the one in La La delivers. Land goes. The year is twenty seventeen. Jazz is in a terrible state. Only one man can save it, and he's white. <laughs> His name is Guy White. <laughs> Guy Fieri. <laughs> can we make a um, La La Land parody, please? Yes, I think we should. Where do it, that. it's all about a man called Guy White who's out to save jazz from the evil black people. Yep. And he wears like a jazz cape. <laughs> I don't know what a jazz cape is, but I'm going to do some sketches. <laughs> it's pronounced Yaz cape. Ah, uh, oh, the Yaz cape. The Yaz cape. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, I really, really liked the the character of the friend whose name I can't remember, Howard or something, who is played by what's the guy's name? Richard uh, Jenkins. Richard, Richard Jenkins. Yeah. I was going to say who's, Richard Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a turn up for the books yeah um but i haven't seen him in anything else either but i looked at his filmography and it's like really impressive it's like the, the kind of films that we watch seem to uncover these actors with hugely impressive cvs whose work i've just not seen very little of but i thought he was really really good and the little bits of his life were really really interesting how like he tries to come on to the young man in the pie shop and then it turns out he's not gay or he he's like he's homophobic probably because he's gay but like yeah it's really his life has felt very very tragic as well and it's like he got a little bit little something out of it as well he sort of he learned some stuff about humanity and if you couldn't tell that from the film he says that in the closing voiceover yes yeah in case you didn't get the message he says it in the voiceover and it's like thanks film i didn't get that that very (laughs) obvious message um and yeah and and that his whole subplot is one of the things that i found most interesting about the film and i I, and i think they handled it very very well alongside the main story um so i i don't feel like we needed more of it i think it was a perfect amount of time spent with him um and um and yeah it was it was great and he was one of the best things about the film and i was very glad that he didn't die because the whole three through the movie i was thinking oh god they're gonna kill him aren't they he's gonna be the expendable person who dies yeah he's gonna die by cattle prod or the the heist bit when they sneak the fish man out is gonna go wrong and he's gonna get a bullet in the face yes and thankfully that never happens no they managed to sneak the fish man out which is great yes the only person who dies is is helpful russian oh yeah surf and turf <laughs> surf and turf yeah um dimitri slash bob he's also a very good character yes yeah bob dimitri who was a yeah and again that's a very nice complex character um and, and that's what i mean is there was lots in here that was interesting but the overall scope of it was a little bit too heavy-handed so much so that it kind of lost some of those smaller elements yeah Sorry, um, I've just it... had a text. I can't contain myself. Jeremy Hunt is foreign secretary. <laughs> you what? 
apparently. Jeremy Hunt. Unless Adam is having me on. But he has just t- sent me a text saying, lol, Jeremy Hunt, Foreign Secretary. Okay, I'm doing a quick search for this. That cannot be possible. I mean, I thought they were going to keep him in place until he completely dismantled the NHS. Yeah, well, they'll probably find someone to go to health who is intent on doing that even faster. So, Jeremy Hunt has been appointed foreign secretary. Um, the the health secretary position is going to be filled by Dracula, um, <laughs> as far as I'm aware. He only wants to suck your blood. That's it. It's not that bad. <laughs> Oh, God, what is happening to this country, Paddy? I don't know, man. It's almost like we're not human anymore. We're all fishmen. Maybe the real human was the fishmen we met along the way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the fuck I'm saying anymore. I'm so confused Uh, uh, by it all. uh, At least Michael Gove has not found himself into any major position of responsibility. No, that's true. He's too busy being in the position (laughs) of looking like a Victorian sex doll. That leisure sheet, Larry-looking motherfucker. Get in the bin, you bastard. <laughs> all of them are not good. Yeah, they're all awful. Um, genuinely, all terrible. Yeah, they're um, even worse than key lime pie, and I do not like key lime you pie. You what, mate? You don't like key lime pie? How do you feel about key lime pie? I love a bit of key lime pie. Really? What's not to like about it? I don't know. Every time I've had it, it's been quite foul. Just really, really awful. A really, like, malevolent nuclear green. And just, yeah, it it just tastes wrong. It doesn't taste like lime, even. It just I just remember it tasting like slimy weirdness. But maybe I've never had good key lime pie. But the key lime pie in the shape of water looks pretty disgusting as well. It looks like a very traditional key lime pie. Yeah. I love that it's an old-timey pie shop, just like in Waitress. But you, you get lots of different kinds of key lime pie, don't you? So you get ones that are more like a cheesecake, but then you get those ones that should almost seem like gelatin-based. Cheese lime pie. Cheese lime pie. That's my favorite. Um, which, yeah, and then you've got sort of like the meringues on top, but other ones don't have the meringues on top. It's You get a lot of variety in key lime pie. Oh, there's a key lime pie spectrum. See, I think the only ones that I've had uh, were the more cheesecake-y variety. But the ones in in the shape of water looked gelatinous and somehow looked even worse. <laughs> See, I I've had both. I do think the the weird wobbly, very lime greeny ones aren't as nice. Um, but then for me, you've got lemon meringue pie, which fills that void. See, I like I lemon meringue pie. I will go I love for that. A bit of lemon meringue pie. I can go for that. Um. Yeah, I, I, I do think lemon meringue pie is superior to key lime pie. Absolutely. Um, I, I thought you were about to voice another unpopular opinion. <laughs> the best pie is in Peter Jackson's King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when the ape bursts out of the giant pie. <laughs> the King Kong throughout the entire movie is just eating pecan pie. Yeah. That, that's what happens. Now that's not a good pie either. Oh, you what, mate? I love a bit of pecan pie. Uh, no. It's like there's so much good, sweet and lovely pie. It's like, why does it even exist? It's like fruitcake. Why do you have fruitcake? Unless you are a bit of a fruitcake. See, yeah, I, I have no time for fruitcake because cake already does not require fruit. 
Yeah. Um, but pecan pie, I love. You've got the crunchiness of the pecans. You've got the lovely syrupiness. Nah. You get the sense that it's rotting your teeth as you take a bite out of it. Hey, if I want that, there's there's a whole kingdom of sweets and ice cream and shit out there. <laughs> no, I love a bit. I love a bit of pecan pie. I'm all over that. It's great. No. Um, but yeah, the pie the pie subplot in the shape of water is quite charming and then very sad. Yes, when yeah, the very sad. Canadian pie boy turns out to be homophobic and racist. Yes, yeah, um, and I was doubly sad because the guy who plays him is in a TV show I like, and I was like, "No, you're supposed to be one of the good guys." Oh, what shows that? Um, so he's in. Oh, what is it even called? Um, uh, the Canadian Pie Boys. Kill Killjoys. It's called. It's like a silly sci-fi. Um, it's a silly sci-fi uh, show. I've not heard of that. It's it's really dumb, but in a good way. And he plays like a priest man, like a, a space priest. A space priest? Yes. <laughs> I uh, want to be a space the, priest. Um, Killjoys is a show about Killjoys. Killjoys are basically space mercenaries, and they go around and capture people and bring them back to justice. Imagine Dog the Bounty Hunter in space. <laughs> um but then there's this there's this big overarching plot about these weird um like symbiote monsters that are slowly taking over space territory and they're all evil but are they really evil yes they are really evil um that's <laughs> that kind of sums great. up the three that kind of sums up the three series of uh killjoy so far but on top of that there's this whole they do a very interesting way of building the world around them and so much that there's these space priest religion people who are kind of like Buddhists, but then they also help like underground resistance movements and things like that. It's it's not the most intelligent show, I'm not going to lie, but it's really entertaining watching. Um, and he's in that, and he plays good guy space priest, but alas, in here he is not a good guy nor a space priest. Who was it who Dog the Bounty Hunter... It was someone unexpected that Dog the Bounty Hunter bailed out of jail. Was it Nicolas Cage? I feel like it was someone like that. <laughs> somebody we've talked about this Dog before somebody surprising um was in jail and then Dog the bounty hunter bailed them out oh, who the fuck was it i've just typed in Dog the bounty hunter bail and found out that Dog the B- bounty hunter is a very very active and passionate campaigner for bail reform oh oh that's nice bailed out who yeah it was nicholas cage I was Nicholas right. Cage. That is incredible. Nicholas Cage. Was he um, trying to steal like the, the April seventeenth again? <laughs> yeah, twenty eleven. Dog the bounty hunter bails out Nicholas Cage. Academy Award-winning actor Nicholas Cage jailed in New Orleans over an alleged outburst against his wife, police, and Ooh. a few parked cars. Is free today after reportedly being bailed out by reality TV star Dwayne Dog Chapman. <laughs> Dwayne Dog Chapman. He was Nick Cage was heavily intoxicated and arguing with his wife in front of a home at eleven thirty PM. Okay. Um insisting that the house they were in front of was their rental property. Um he dragged her by the arm towards the house, but then he decided to start striking cars in the immediate vicinity and attempted to jump into a taxi. Oh, Nick, that's not good. He then said to the police, why don't you just arrest me? And it sounds like they arrested him. <laughs> Strange thing, Nicholas Cage. If you ask the police to arrest you, they're going to arrest you. 
I mean, even if he'd done nothing wrong, you'd do it because it's Nicolas Cage. Like, what a story. Yes. I arrested Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but still, please. well done to Dwayne Dog Chapman. To yeah. Given his full name. He is the dog. The rather nice dog. The yeah. the bail reform fighter. He, he's a golden retriever if ever I saw one. Ah, <laughs> oh, he is. Good old golden retriever. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what, what did, else do you have to say about what did you Super make of the, the score? Because I thought it was, it was really nice. good. I thought it was really it powerful like and a... really nice. And from the word go, it opens really, really well. And then it kind of, yeah, it steers it on a very nice course, I thought. It felt like I was watching Amelie, Amelie with a fish monster. Um, yeah. And that's not a bad thing. I thought it was really lovely. Yeah, but it wasn't overtly French. No, no. It it just had those kind of romantic overtones, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, that was nice. But yeah, all the, the like piano themes and stuff that kept coming back were really, really nice and always used in a really nice way and it all kind of faded together really nicely. Like the sound design was really good as well. Yeah, no, it was it was really well put together. And it's a very competently made film. Like the score is wonderful, the cinematography is wonderful. Um, in general, it's well paced. It feels as though the 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 romance is a little bit fast, but that's the only thing that feels a little yeah. bit out of sorts. We've talked a lot about um, Guillermo del Toro. It's a great film, um, as if he's the only person who did anything. But all of the people who worked on this film should be chuffed because all of them did a great job. And obviously, yeah, a film is made by hundreds of people, and it's not just him. Uh, yeah, we've fallen. I've certainly have fallen into the auteurist trap in um, talking about this film when it, all of the other parts are really good as well. Yes, yeah. Everybody involved in this film did a really good job. Um, apart from the person who was supposed to fix the penis to the fish suit, I'm sorry, but I think you forgot to do it. I couldn't see it. Could you? There was a distinct lack of fish penis in this movie. Naught out of twenty. Yeah, yeah. No I, fish dong. I came to this film for fish peen. That's all I wanted. <laughs> I was promised. You had one job. <laughs> I was promised E.T. apart from where E.T. fucks someone. And that did not happen here. And I am disappointed. <laughs> That's, isn't that the fantasy of every kid who was in the every kid from the 80s? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was, this was a lovely film, though. I really enjoyed yeah. it. Whereas for people our, our age who are born towards the end of the 80s, it's Beethoven except Beethoven fucks someone. <laughs> Well, I suppose that's I suppose that's Beethoven's second, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's true. But whatever happened between Beethoven and Beethoven's second, that's um, or or or, or does the romance occur within Beethoven's second? I yeah, yeah. Have you not seen time. Beethoven's second? I have seen it, but it's been a very very long time. No, he gets a girlfriend and they have puppies. Because I know that there was puppies, and at the end they're on a mountain or something. That's what I remember about the movie. <laughs> Spoiler alert for Beethoven's second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a movie from like 20 years ago. More. At I least. think it's 1992. Oh, wow. Okay. They shot yeah. um, Beethoven and Beethoven's second together. Like, imme- oh, really? Or, or at least they shot it immediately after the release, maybe, of the first one. So the cast all look exactly the same. It's the same dog, I think. Yeah, it is the same dog. Whereas from Beethoven's third onward through to Beethoven's big break, it's about 10 different dogs. Same with Airbud. He's in the original Airbud is in the first three, I think, and then he died. Oh, there we go. Then. Spoiler alert for kids who don't know about <laughs> Airbud. 
who don't, who don't know the life cycle of a dog. Yeah. But I, um, I've genuinely thought that we should watch Beethoven second at some point because it does have a romance plot between Beethoven. He does have to woo his, <laughs> his doggy girlfriend. Okay, I'll allow it. I'll allow it at some point. Yeah. Um. So, so do we have anything else to say about um, no, I, th- I think I'm done. I, I, I love this film. I think it's very, very affecting. I think the, the romance and stuff works for me. I, I'm not as invested in Guillermo del Toro trying to be subtle. I, I'm like, bring on the cheese, you know? I'm a guy who likes who likes my I like musicals, you know? It's, it's that kind of thing. To me, it's, it's, it's that kind of overblown cheesiness. But with Guillermo del Toro, it's really, really good storytelling, and it looks amazing, and it's really well put together, and it's a very, very interesting and very original and unique idea. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Excellent, yeah. For for me, it it wasn't quite as good as I was hoping it was going to be, but I still really enjoyed it a lot, and it still had enough there to keep me very much engaged. And I thought, you know, all the performances were great. It looked great. The score was great. Um, it was, yeah, it was a very good film. I just wished it had been a little bit more subtle about things. Yeah, you you were less into the musical number and. The, uh, yeah, the fish man's emotions and such. Yes, I cared little for the fish man's emotions. I cared more about the emotions yeah. of the human characters. Yeah, but maybe that's what he wanted you to think, because it's about what it means to be human. Yes, precisely. But I, this kind of a the the roundabout way of reaching its message that films like um, Sucker Punch have achieved. Oh God, Sucker <laughs> but... Punch! I haven't even seen it, but I've. <laughs> I listened to the episode of the Flophouse where they talked about it, and it sounds like the most insane mess. It's it's yeah, it's it's fascinating what they were trying to accomplish and how badly they they missed it. Um, it's it's kind of a fascinating film, really, um, as an example of like trying to achieve a theme by utilizing what you're fighting against, and then nobody getting what you're trying to do, <laughs> um, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but yes, I have some trivia. If you'd like me to move on to some yeah. trivia, hit me with the trivia. So, so Sally Hawkins um, researched Charlie Chaplin, Stan Laurel, Oliver Hardy, Buster Keaton, and Audrey Hepburn for her part. Interesting. Um, and Guillermo del Toro even brought her a uh, even bought her a Blu-ray collection featuring the performers. Um, See, he's at, not he's at, not a cheap guy. He could have gone for DVD. He could have could have got her an old VHS collection. Yeah, oh, um, that's cool. Uh, yeah, no. Yeah. When you say that, you can you can definitely see it, but I wouldn't have arrived at that conclusion myself. I think. No, no, and and but yeah, when you know that information, it's like oh, okay, I can definitely see what they were going for then. And you can her ex her expression filled performance without saying a word kind of speaks volumes to how much care and dedication was put into the performance. Um, and yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Um, really good performance from Sally Hawkins and it's nice to see the kind of mechanisms behind the scenes that started that off um, which is good um, Doug Jones of course played Fishman yep. Billy Fishman I believe is the character's <laughs> name he, he's the most famous actor you've never seen isn't he yes yeah who's been in all sorts Doug Jones um, I, people who had also seen Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy might be thinking you know what this fish guy lots of, looks a lot like Abe Sapien who is the fish man from Hellboy. And uh, and Doug Jones uh, is also played Abe Sapien in the Hellboy. Yes. Yeah. He's always the fish man, never the fish. 
<laughs> um, but Doug Jones was also in Pan's Labyrinth. He plays creepy ass eyes in hands man and the fawn. Yeah. Um, so impressive filmography and a lot of work with Guillermo del Toro and they must have a good relationship. So that's really cool as well. I think that does come across in the film and the way that he plays the part. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and he's, he's great. He, again, it's a really expression filled performance again from him. And, and he is a really under, uh, underutilized actor, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a great performance. Um, the uh, Octavia Spencer had some very nice words to say about Guillermo del Toro as well um, so she said she would have walked to the earth to work with him which is really nice and 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 when she was on the set she, she asked him how many uh, bits of the set and how many props which she, she was allowed to keep from the movie oh, that's cool uh, which is nice what did she keep? I don't know. I hope she kept the fish penis. That would explain why it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> yeah, she stole it for herself. <laughs> she was jealous. She wouldn't let anyone else have it. Yeah, it's all for me. Keep a memento. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, so that's it for trivia. I just thought that'd be quite interesting. Cool. Yeah, that's, that's cool. It, it tells you, I think, that so much care and craft went into this film. A lot more so than a lot of Hollywood blockbusters, you know. It's not your average Hollywood, you know, it's not Green Lantern 18. <laughs> I wonder if they're ever going to make another Green Lantern movie. I don't know. Because the first one did so badly. I wonder if they will try again. Has he still got his lantern? I I believe so. I don't think anyone stole the lantern. Well, then it's um, definitely open for a sequel. Uh, d- disclaimer, of course, um, he does not have an actual lantern. What? They have a ring, don't they? The Green Lanterns. I, I have no idea. I think I think the Green Lanterns have rings that they use. And... Peen Lantern, more like. <laughs> Your disdain for comic yeah. book heroes grows more and more every time I speak to you. Yeah, although, to be fair, there's not much of them around at the moment. It's more about football instead. Football. Football. Um, so, so how shall we score this movie, then? Um... Don't know. Uh, how many boiled eggs out of twenty? Yeah. How many boiled eggs are lined up along the side of your pool, which you are chained into? <laughs> <laughs> um, I am going to give this an eighteen out of twenty. It's up there. Ooh. It's really up there. I'm not going to break the nineteen barrier yet, as you did. Um, I'm not. I'm, or that. Yeah. So I still. I don't think I've gone above eighteen with any film yet. But um, yeah, it's it's really up there for me. Oh, excellent! Um, I'm going to go with with 14 here. Um, I was kind of stuck between a 14 and a 15, um, but I think I'm going to go with 14 because it didn't it didn't wow me as much as I was hoping for. Um, Interesting. But I do I do really like it, and I imagine that I will probably watch it again at some time. Whether I watch it as much as the likes of Pan's Labyrinth or Crimson Peak, though, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, but you, you could put it on again and enjoy it. For sure. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's a really well-crafted film. It, you do get very engaged in the story as well and in the characters. Um, yeah, it is It is good. I, I'm looking forward to the sequel where they where they go to Hawaii or, <laughs> yeah. or to the Caribbean. They're just, they're just lying on the beach. Yeah. yeah. Well. I, I told a lie. I gave um, 19 to Away We Go. Ah, but I've not okay. given anything a 20. Yeah. 
I don't know what kind of film it would have to be for it to, to for me to give it a twenty. It would have to have dogs. Maybe if so, someone Beethoven second. Yeah, maybe Beethoven second is the ultimate film for me. It's got dogs. <laughs> it's got romance. Well, actually, it's not a musical. I think it would oh. have to be a musical romance with dogs. Musical so dog romance movie. Maybe it's Oliver and Company St- starring John Krasinski. <laughs> yeah, starring John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. <laughs> Yeah, or uh, Channing Tatum with dog ears. I'd take that. <laughs> a musical with dog-eared Channing Tatum. I, I'd get on board with that. Channing Tatum, we know you're listening because you love us so much. Yeah, you're um, our big fan. You, you, We want you to get involved in this project. We'll we'll help write it. Yeah. Help us out. Help a brother Come out. Come on. Come on. We need to make Paddy's perfect film. Yeah. Uh, and there's got to be like pizza in there somewhere as well. Pizza dog romance yes. musical. Pizza dog romance musical. It's about these two oh, dogs, and it's got to have baseball in it as well. It's these two dogs that run a baseball stand outside. Um, what the fuck is a baseball stand? Uh, these two dogs that run a run a pizza stand outside outside the Red Sox. Get stadium. your baseballs, roll up, roll up. <laughs> yeah, they're outside Fenway. They're outside Fenway, um, and they're selling pizza. And it's these two dogs. It's it's set in like a Zootopia universe. Okay, I'm, instead I'm of listening. it being C, instead of it being CGI, it's people dressed up as dogs. So it's still Channing Tatum in a dog suit. Yeah. Um and and across from them, there's um there's like one of those novelty like musical diners where people sing at you. <laughs> um and Channing Tatum like he really wants to go and work there because he's really good at dancing and singing. Um, but he feels like he can't abandon the pizza stand because it's the family um, business. Because it's the family business, and you know everything yeah. like that. But like the girl he loves works there, and she's a different kind of dog. So you've got, you know, you can put in your race allegory in there as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is going for an Oscar, by the way. She's a black Labrador. He's a golden retriever. Exactly. You know, their their paths would never meet normally. But he loves to dance, and and you know, they when they've met before, and they've they've run back in the rain from Fenway when yeah. they're trying to get some, I don't know, baseballs to get their owners yeah. to play fetch with them with. To chew. <laughs> and then he takes her out to the ball game. And yes. Then the mean father figure says that they can't ever see each other again. And then there's like a pizza fight. Yes, exactly. And um, then there's a big, a big musical number like in the middle of the baseball game. And then, one of them runs onto the pitch and tries to catch the ball while it's being pitched, and then the other one jumps in front to save her because he knows that the pitches move really fast and that it'll probably knock her out. And then he takes the—he basically takes a bullet for her in the form of a hundred mile an hour fastball. And then he wakes up and they're all okay and they're in love. Yes, that's exactly it. The shit writes itself. <laughs> so Channing, get involved, mate. We want you. Yeah, we want you on this project. We need. It's it. going to win an Oscar. It's going to win an Oscar, Tatum. It's got in Oscar that? written all over it. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Yes. So that's what, that's what we need to get sorted for next time. Uh, yeah, okay. We'll get that sorted for next next week. Yeah. But um, what are we going to be watching next week? So next week, um, we have had a request in um, for P.S. I Love You. Okay. So we're going we're going down that route. I I've feel like I've seen it, 
Um, and but I feel like I haven't seen all of it. I feel like I've seen half of it on the television while I was distracted doing something else. So I'll, I'll, I think it'll be like it's the first time for me. I've I've never seen it before. It's got some names in it that I like a lot. Is it? I've heard. I've heard. Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler. Is Hillary Swank. The Dead Man. Uh, spoiler alert, Paddy. <laughs> Well, no, that's um, the concept, isn't it? The guy's the guy's dead and writing to writing her love letters from beyond the grave. I thought he Ooh. was just writing her letters because <laughs> he loved her. Yeah. Um, disclaimer: I did know that it was about a dead guy. By the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, let's let's go with that. Go with that. No fish people. I don't think. Nope. Not as far as I'm aware. Unless Jared Butler turns out to be a sexy merman, which you know I wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, a sexy merman who can write letters. Which yeah. is more than the fish man in the shape of water could do. Yeah, to be fair, fish man, come on. You've yeah. been in our country for a long time. You should have learned how to speak English by now. <laughs> yeah. Jared Butler's thrown a kettle over a pub. What have you done? <laughs> I bet Jared Butler has thrown a kettle over a pub. He seems like the kind of guy who would do that. He totally would do. Yeah. And, and not in like a like a, uh, a Brigado way. He would have just been like, someone would have said, Oi, Jared, throw this, throw this kettle over a pub. Yeah. And he'd been like, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Help me out, mate. Yeah, <laughs> I need to get this kettle over the other side of the road, but there's this pub in the way. And he'd be yeah. like, yeah, okay, I threw it over. He's down the pub. He buys a fridge from dodgy Pete Davidson <laughs> and his truck's parked in the car park on the other side of the pub. What, is he going to carry it around the side of the pub like a cuck? No, he's going to throw it over the pub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, um, he's he's a handsome man. I'm looking forward to seeing him in that. Yeah, I love a bit of Jared. Um. Cool. excellent stuff good cool. times all right i think i think that's um that's probably enough for this week i don't have any other business unless you do uh no nothing from me cool um just say that as always you can get in touch with us um you can email us big boys don't cry podcast at gmail.com on twitter at big boys don't pod always love to hear from you what did you think of the fish man do you like musical numbers you know how do you feel about pizza dog baseball musicals you know we need your input as well if we're going to crowdfund this to get it off the ground you know we need your help yeah. so some messages of support would be nice also let us know which one of us is boris johnson and which one of us is david davis no please don't <laughs> i want to know guys i want to know which way around you see us. and then which one of us is jeremy hunt and which one of us is dominic rav <laughs> <laughs> yes please let us know yes very very grim so yeah we'll we'll be back next week to talk about ps i love you assuming that england is not literally a fire in a bin and that we're not <laughs> dead by this time next week yeah, by this point england could have won the world cup and the country could have entirely imploded leaving our football team with nowhere to return to yeah <laughs> or they come back as actual kings Yes, literal kings. They're installed as the government um, because the current government has collapsed and they're the most popular figures. Well, you know, That's I've not seen... out of the realm of possibility. There is definitely a speculative fiction novel in there. I've seen lots of people suggesting that Gareth Southgate should just take over Brexit negotiations. Yeah. Which, you know, I imagine he'd probably do a better job than the current shower. I would be okay with that, honestly. Yeah. Come on, Gareth. Get on it. Who cares about the World Cup when you've got saving the country at store? Come on, mate. Do it. This is increasingly sounding like a superhero film. <laughs> Waistcoat man. Yeah. I'd still rather watch that than Green Lantern. <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> Sounds amazing. All right. Good times. We'll be back next week. 
Yes, indeedy. See you then. Right. Bye. Bye. Remind him of the good times He sings the songs that remind him of the better times